Hear the word of the Lord. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. You may be seated, friends. Would you please pray with me? Our Father and our God, we come before you this morning fully recognizing that we are a distracted people. We are also a needy people. There is nothing that we can do to breathe life into this word. And so we ask, Father, that you would do what only you can do, that your Holy Spirit this morning would speak to your people through your word. All glory be to you, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, now and forever. Amen. Brigadier General Simon, sorry, Samuel Lyman Atwood Marshall, better known as General Slam, conducted a study for the U.S. military that completely changed the way that every country everywhere in the world trains their soldiers. See, he found that in World War I and World War II, In an average firefight, on the front lines, only about 15% of the soldiers were firing their rifles. And even when being overran by the enemies, that number never climbed higher than 25%. This means that if, if you were fighting people who were coming towards you, and if you were shooting your weapon, and you looked on your left and on your right, you could almost guarantee neither person on your side was actually firing their gun. Later studies found something even more shocking, that though 15% of people were firing their weapon, only about 2% were actually aiming at specific targets. This 2% divided almost perfectly down the middle. Somewhere around 1% of the people in the military were able to shoulder their weapon, look down the sights, and pull the trigger looking at another human being because they didn't recognize that person as an actual human being. They were mentally deranged, labeled sociopaths. Shockingly, the other 1%, the the Medal of Honor winners, those who single-handedly stormed machine gun nests, those people were mentally stable. But they did have something in common. Almost without exception, none of them had close family back home which meant that the men that they fought with were the men that they fought for. In a word, they fought so well because of love. Love. It was the key to their efficacy. And as we will see this morning, our text presents, it is no different for us. In fact, our text will show us that without love, your service will prove ultimately unhelpful completely unvalidating and eternally unrewarded. 
Without love, your service will prove ultimately unhelpful, completely unvalidating, and eternally unrewarded. Before we jump into the meat of our text, I just want to take a moment to wrap our head around the context. Of course, here at St. Andrews, we've been in 1 John, and so this is quite a jump into a, a different book. And Craig was not able to be here this morning. And so we're taking a brief detour here into 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which of course is sandwiched in between 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14. 1 Corinthians 12 believes, now concerning spiritual gifts, and then Paul goes on to describe how spiritual gifts are distributed amongst the body and, and, and no one part looks like another part, but they all serve their purpose. And, and then in, in chapter 14, he explains some of the practical outworkings of specific spiritual gifts and what that should look like. So then we get to chapter 13 between the two. Friends, this is not a a rabbit trail, an unconnected thought. No, this is Paul talking about the necessity of love within the service of the church, which happens from the gifts that God has given to us. I know that most often we hear this at weddings, but quite frankly, this has nothing to do with romantic love between two people. This is about love within the church. So what is Paul saying about the necessity of love within the church? Well, let's look at verse one. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. There has been much discussion about what Paul means here when he says tongues of angels. And we'll get to that. But, but first, what I want to draw your attention to is that Paul here, at least here, is not claiming to speak of the tongues of angels. Not in this passage. This is a hypothetical. It, it's as though he was saying, imagine with me that. Because if he was claiming to speak of the tongues of angels here, then we'd have to say he was claiming to have all human knowledge. And was claiming to have given up his life to martyrdom, which doesn't make any sense because he's writing this. But what is he saying? Well, the first thing I want to draw your attention to is that this is a figure of speech called a merism. A merism. The tongues of men and the tongues of angels, like from the top of my head to the tips of my toes. It isolates two parts of a whole thing to stress the totality of it. What Paul has in mind here is is complete linguistic mastery. So let's flush out what this would look like. I say, do you imagine with me that I could speak all languages? And you say, Riker, I I can't do that. And I say, well, if I'm honest, neither can I. I mean, in, in preparing this text, I really tried. I sat down and I could think of a word or a phrase in somewhere around 10 languages which sounds really good until you realize that there are over 6,000 languages spoken around the globe today, not to count for past dead languages. I can tell you the closest that I can approximate though to this, this idea of all tongues of men. I once worked with a woman who was born in the African country Eritrea. When she was a small, small, small child, her family fled war there to the country of Germany. She was raised in Germany, and then after she graduated high school, came to the U.S. to go to college. Because her family was from Eritrea, in the household, they spoke the language Tigrinya, which is the language they speak in Eritrea. Because she grew up in Germany, 
she would go to the store or, or talk with her classmates and speak German. And then as she came to the States to go to college, she learned English in high school preparing herself for that. Sometimes our lunch breaks would overlap and I would go upstairs to our break room and she would be on a phone call with her sister back home in Germany. They would have the most beautiful trilingual conversations, an uncomprehensible amalgamation of, of English and, and an African language, Tugdenya and German, swapping out words or phrases as they best fit her thoughts or ideas. It was incredibly effective. I, I asked her one time, how do you pick? And she said, well, whichever one I know is gonna communicate the best to her. Easy, effective communication. But Paul takes us a step further. He says, the tongues of angels. What does he mean by that? I'll tell you what, what I think he's getting at with this merism here. Have you ever noticed that different languages have different sounds to them, right? French is so well known as a romance language that when a man dotingly looks upon a woman and calls her mon petit chéri, she doesn't even mind that he just called her my little cabbage. So what are the tongues of angels though? a language that, like all other languages, has been made solely to glorify and praise God, but a language not affected by the fall of man. That, that from the cre creation of angels past up until now to the creation forever, future, will be used to praise God forever in his presence. How glorious and beautiful that must be effective, beautiful communication. The tongues of men, the tongues of angels, not without love. Without love, a noisy gong, a clanging cymbal, the complete opposite. Without love, ultimately unhelpful. Verse two. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. Imagine with me again, friends, that I had all knowledge. This here means all human knowledge, all humanly obtainable knowledge. So knowing exactly how many atoms make up any particular object, creature, or person, being able to look at something and know exactly how fast it was going, being able to actually number the stars in the sky, count the number of leaves on a tree, having complete mastery of every possible field of study, psychology, medicine, biology, physics. The list goes on and on and on and on. But again, Paul takes it a step further. Not just all human knowledge, he says mysteries, which he uses elsewhere in his writings to refer to the gospel. This is theological knowledge. This means having a complete and perfect understanding of everything the Bible says, all of its context, all of its interconnections, being able to settle once and for all every single theological debate there has ever been. But again, Paul takes it a step further. Prophetic powers. This is knowledge that is dispensed directly from God with no creation or book of revelation as an intermediary, usually pertaining to the future. But again, Paul doesn't stop there. He keeps on going in all faith, faith so as to do the impossible. 
Imagine what this person would be like, friends. Could you imagine having them as a friend? Any question you ever had, they could answer. And their faith would be vibrant, palpable. Not without love. What does Paul say? Without love, I am nothing. Completely unvalidating. Verse three. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. I think this is the easiest one for us to wrap our minds around. This imagine with me that scenario here. Because we're all very well aware of philanthropy. I mean, there are a lot of very famous, very wealthy people who are known for giving away their money. It, I, I think recently, the most recent one I can think of that went viral was when someone said a, a tweet to Elon Musk on Twitter and they said, hey, if you donated this percentage of everything that you have, you could solve world hunger. And he said, great, let's get some accountants on this. Let, let, let's make sure these books are open, talk with the UN. And if you can show me the numbers, I'll do it. We, we understand philanthropy. Billionaires give away money all the time. But Paul takes it a step further. Not, not giving away some of what I have, not giving away most of what I have, all. And, and this verb tense has the idea of an ongoing thing. So this isn't the idea of giving up Christmas dinner to go serve at a soup kitchen. It's more that you sold your Christmas presents to help fund the soup kitchen. And the continual nature of it means that gone would be all of the materialistic indulgences that, that, that were indulgences that we're so used to. Never buying something again just because you wanted it, whether it was a sandwich, a Starbucks coffee, clothing, whatever. But again, Paul takes it a step further. Giving of your very life. Now here our translation says to be burned. Some translations will, will say to boast, and I think most of your Bibles probably have a footnote in it if, if, it, if they do say to be burned. Whether Paul is talking about giving up your body to boast so that you could brag about it, or to the flames of martyrdom, his, his point is the same. If you give away everything that you have all the time, and then die in a martyr's death, but do so apart from love, I gain nothing. Eternally unrewarded. We've spoken about its centrality, the, the, its necessity for efficacy, but, but we have yet to really define it, friends. What is love? See, I think Paul knew that that would be on the minds of the reader because he takes the next few verses, the verses that we all know from weddings, and he tells us, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. So I ask you, friends, what would your service look like apart from that? Apart from that love? I can think of a few different images. One, 
is it would be done grumblingly. Maybe if you're handing out bulletins, you're frustrated that it's so hot in the doorway there as you're handing them out, or maybe if you're picking up the communion glasses. Come on, why can't people just, just put them in the baskets? There's always something to grumble about, no matter how small it is. It could be done grumblingly. Alternatively, it could be done happily, but to be seen. Do you guys, uh, you guys see, see what I'm doing? I'm, I'm serving at the church now. As if somehow earning a person's favor makes your service worth it. And finally, most insidiously, it could be done with a happy heart, not insisting upon your own way, not arrogantly, but only and always to check it off of a list that you make yourself. The problem is, friends, is that you will never add enough things to that list or check enough things off of that list to make that list worth anything. So what do we do with this? What, what do we do with this understanding that love is necessary for service, for executing our gifts? Well, first and foremost, friends, you serve. See, that's Paul's presupposition coming into this passage here. In 1 Corinthians 12, when he talks about the body and, and the different parts of the body playing the different roles that our different parts do, that's a metaphor for you serving within the church. You have all been given gifts. We have needs here. So serve. Just this morning, David actually came up to me and asked me, hey, do you mind uh, in, in the announcements mentioning something about needing people on, on the sound team? We, we don't have enough people to run the soundboards all the time. Can you push buttons? I know it sounds complicated, I promise. Hungren will make it very simple for you. Can you push buttons? Then serve, friend. There, there is a real, actual need here in our church for that. And there are other needs. People cut up the communion bread. People pour the communion wine. People make the communion bread. People hand out your bulletins. People clean up your bulletins. There are things that you can do here, even if you say, well, I can't play an instrument. I, I, I can't preach. I don't want to lead in front of the people there are ways that you can serve, friend. Think of how all of us, even if it's your first time here, have benefited from Hungarian service here. Setting up all these sound systems so that you can hear when the music is played, so you can follow along with the liturgy. Done in the background, no one saw, no one was here. Service, friends. Service and love. So the presupposition is that you are serving, and when you do serve, serve in love. Serve out of love. It is the only way that your service will amount to anything. We have the unique opportunity in our church coming up, friends, as we launch into these home groups here in just a few weeks. This gives us the opportunity to display love to one another, to care for one another, to be involved in each other's lives. You can be a guest at someone's home and still serve them. And as we love each other that way, we will grow in love. It will become more natural. In fact, if you feel isolated or alone, the best thing that you can do is start serving. I guarantee you, if you start serving, you will find that you will make friends faster than you ever have in your entire life. So again, dear friends, serve. And when you serve, serve in love because Without love, your service will prove ultimately unhelpful, completely unvalidated, and eternally unrewarded. And you don't want that 
I don't want that. You can say from this text, God himself does not want that for you. So may we as a people be a people who do everything that we can within our power to serve and trust that God will supply what we need to go past that and serve. And we do it in love. Would you pray with me? Our Father and our God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is through your word and imperfect preaching that you speak to your people. We ask, Father, that you would be glorified, that you would grow us in love as a congregation, and that we would serve each other to your glory. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.